Welcome to Poetry Challenges with David Morley, Director of the Warwick Writing Programme. Welcome back to Poetry Challenges, the podcast series in which we light up language and warm our minds before a fire of words. This episode is called Sky Candles and Whale Roads, and it's all about magical ways to shape language and poems. First, listen to this extract from an old poem. It's just four short lines. Listen for the sounds to the ta, 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 the ha, 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 the swa, swa, and the sonic horse coming to life within your mind. No trembling harp, no tune timber, no tumbling hawk swerving through the hall, no swift horse pouring the courtyard. That's from Seamus Heaney's translation of Beowulf. In the same way that paragraphs of prose have the effect of herding words into a point, lines of poetry are gathered into stanzas to make a triangulation of meaning, sound and shape. We sometimes use forms of poetry to shape lines and stanzas. Many of the traditional forms had their origin in song and the oral transmission of poems. Metre, rhymes and forms help you to remember a poem. Memory has its metres and various verbal strategies glue words into place. Alliteration, for example, alerts us that language has a larynx and offers an afterlife through being stickily memorable. And Beowulf is a powerful ancient example. Now, listen to another excerpt, this time from one of my own long poems, Kings, a full live recording of which can be found on Warwick iTunes U. Listen to the noise these lines make as a horse, another horse, swerves to a stop on a plain in front of a burning city. Listen for the ha, ha, ha hurl of the hoofbeats, the hard consonants, and the way the poem's rhythm slows and stamps on a new sound, on the swerve and curve, on the open ground of assonance. I track her, my horse hammering her hurt grass, hurt halving me, tearing me, hurling helve after hatchet, but I cannot catch her. I catch horizons, but not her. Then her city curves into sight, the horse swerves at its river. These word strategies, alliteration, rhythm, rhyme, are terrifically important and primal for the making of poetry. After all, poems once carried the stories of our species through time. In Aboriginal culture, song poetry governs the mapping of territory and sacred sites. Of course, some of the newer forms of poetry have their origin in speech, or even visual appearance. However, the form known as free verse is still a shaping pattern for poetry's language, and the form called syllabics is shaped by speech's mathematics. Forms and patterns are shaping devices, whose purpose is not to restrict, but to create units of time for language and to provide open spaces for saying and transmitting. You should try them all. Let's look more closely at rhyme for a minute. Rhyme and time sound the same to my ear 
but only because my verbal memory blends them like that. As words, they look very different. And a thousand years ago, many words would not have sounded the same way as the poem about the cuckoo demonstrated in the first podcast of this series, or if you were to read the original Beowulf. Rhyme emerges from listening to the music of language, as do line, metre and form. Like them, rhyme is elastic and subject to change. This is why poets have always exploited the range of rhyme and the essential plasticity of verbal sound. A full rhyme, like full time, can be played on by a half rhyme, like fall time or full room, and many gradations between. That's rhyme. Now, let's look at repetition. Repetition devices, like restrictive devices, are ways of shaping a poem and carrying a poem forward as speech. They plant avenues of words to help drive a poem forward. They plant a simple repeating pattern to serve out rhythm. They plant a simulation of rhyme also. Listen to part of an ancient Irish poem of the 6th century. Listen to all these I ams. I am a stag of seven tines. I am a flood across a plain. I am a wind on a deep lake. I am a tear the sun lets fall. I am a hawk above the cliff. I am a thorn beneath the nail. I am a wonder among flowers. I am a wizard who but I sets the cool head aflame with smoke. I am a spear that roars for blood. I am a salmon in a pool. I am a law from paradise. I am a hill where poets walk. I am a boar, ruthless and red. I am a breaker, threatening doom. I am a tide that drags to death. I am an infant. Who but I peeps from the unhewn dolmen arch? Reinventing ancient poetry for today can be illuminating and fun. Here is your poetry challenge for today. It is called Kennings. Your poetry challenge is to create some kennings and use them in short poems or haiku. What is a haiku? A haiku is a three-line poem in which the first line has five syllables, the second line has seven syllables, and the third line has five syllables. What is a kenning? Well, a kenning is a compound poetic phrase that takes the place of a name of a person or thing. It is also a type of magic. It comes from the Old Norse to express a thing in terms of another. In Old English, the sea would be called a whale road. A buck would be called a word hoard. The sun would be a sky candle. Kennings exist today in everyday speech. For example, railroad, woodpusher for skateboarder, or the beautiful game for football. Compression of image and language is important to poets, and kennings are an effective game for creating new images and metaphors for finding fresh ways of seeing the world through language. To recap, your poetry challenge is to create some kennings and use them in short poems or haiku. Thank you for listening.